Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, hello and welcome. This is Pastor Eric. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Today we have a very special guest, one of my close friends. Uh, Pastor Jason Palmer is with us. Um, just a couple of caveats before we get started. There are a couple of things that are different about this particular podcast. The first one is uh, I'm having a conversation with Jason um, over the internet, so the audio quality on his end might be a little bit lower than um, you're used to, but that's simply because... Um, He'll be he'll be speaking to us through um, my computer, so it's going to sound a little bit different uh, than maybe you're used to. But also, one of the joys of of the internet is that we can talk to people who are many miles away and uh, have good conversations with them. Uh, the other thing is that we we do right now, as of this recording, uh, we are hosting here at New Life uh, the Global Leadership Summit. So if you hear uh, talking in the background, uh, it's going to be from the audio from that summit. So they're they're blasting that through um, the speakers throughout the church. So uh, if you do hear a little bit of background noise, that's what that's what that's from. Uh, but you may also hear some trains occasionally, and that's because uh, Pastor Jason. Uh, lives right next to train tracks, so uh, his home office is is neatly uh, uh, set beside a busy busy railroad. So um, you may hear some trains in the background as well. Well, welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Eric. Appreciate it. Oh, man. Uh, so first of all, before we get started, why don't you just give uh, our listeners some biographical information so they know who you are, know where you're serving, um, kind of what you're about, and and how we know each other. Sure. Well, I grew up in Kansas and currently live in Kansas, um, pastoring the Free Methodist Church in Emporia, Kansas, uh, kind of in between Wichita and Kansas City, which uh, tend to be the two main markers when identifying place in Kansas. Um, but uh, I'm married to Abby, and uh, we have one little girl uh, who is one year old and we have a one-year-old dog as well, Leo, and so uh, that's what life is like right now. Uh, I went to college, uh, Central Christian College of Kansas in McPherson, Kansas, and that's how uh, Eric and I got to know each other. It, uh, it was a good time, graduated with a ministry degree, and, uh, and then the last two years, um, well, I guess a year ago we moved, so um, for a couple of years we were outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I was doing some seminary studies at Trinity School for Ministry in Anglican Seminary out there, and uh, a real positive experience um, with studies there. And uh, so now we're just trying to be faithful um, here at the Free Methodist Church. Uh, my wife grew up Nazarene. Uh, I grew up in the church, but not with any affiliation. Several different churches were a part of my past, and um uh, my, my introduction to ministry was through music, and so I've done that for a decade now um, uh, in contemporary settings, and uh, that just kind of continued to, to morph into eventually um, I articulated a call to full-time ordained ministry, and so that's where we are at now. Great. Thank you, Jason. And um, so for our, for our listeners, um, and, and for you as well, to get a little background of what we're doing here, we have been going over since uh, all of 2019, uh, since, since January, we've been working through uh, in our podcast uh, the strategy f- to accomplish our mission and vision here, here at New Life. And our mission and vision is transformed hearts, transformed lives, transformed community, transformed world by the power of the gospel. And so uh, we believe that God produces transformation uh, by the proclamation of the gospel, both in the word and the sacrament. And uh, and uh, we believe that, that God has called us to, to do this and called every church to do this. And so our uh, our mission, we, we have our strategy to achieve that mission broken down into three areas, what we call the row, the table, and the chair. 
And the row is our uh, big group gathering. So this is our divine services, um, as we would call them in the Lutheran tradition. And we spent uh, months talking about a divine services um, in the podcast earlier this year. So uh, listeners, if you want to go back and listen to those, you can. So we talked about all the different elements that uh, are common in our three services and what makes them Lutheran um, and what makes them historical, historically Christian. Uh, then we moved on to the next part of our strategy, which is what we call the table. And this is uh, living life together in smaller groups. So we accomplished that through uh, our life group ministry, uh, a ministry that is uh, designed to help our uh, congregation uh, live the Christian life well. And so in the Lutheran uh, perspective, that means doing your vocation well. Um, and so we, we talked about how um, the Christian life is broken down into two areas, the vertical and the horizontal. Uh, the vertical is our relationship with God, which is uh, uh, strictly a gift from God. And so we worship and praise him and receive his gifts gladly um, as as a parent, you know, as he is our parent and um, he cares for us. And then we love and serve our neighbor well, uh, both in the church and out of the church. So the table, we explored doing that um, in our life groups. And now we're moving on to our third section, the third part of our strategy, which we call the chair. Um, and the chair, uh, quite simply, is it's actually probably the simplest of the three of them. Um, it's uh, personal and family devotions. So that chair uh, life can be broken down into those two areas, family devotions and personal devotions. Um, and we'll, as we'll hear over the next several weeks, um, uh, particularly in... Um, in, in the Lutheran tradition and in other traditions as well, um, there is a rich um, well of family devotional material and devotional material for the person um, to, to explore their faith and to grow in the grace of God. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next several several weeks. And those those two devotional areas, family devotion and uh, personal devotion, uh, the two main things that we engage in in those areas is prayer and scripture. So those are the kind of the two primary ways that we uh, do that devotional task of daily um, uh, cultivating our faith, daily uh, living and learning how to receive the grace of God and uh, being in Christ. So that's really what we're doing um, over the next several weeks. We're going to be uh, hearing some, for example, today, we're going to be hearing some background, historical, theological background, uh, but we're also going to hear from several families and people about how they actually experience um, God day to day and how they experience God um, in their families and doing uh, their personal and family devotion. So today, uh, we're going to tackle the theme of prayer. We're going to tackle uh, how prayer um, works in the person's life, um, why it's important, what we do when we pray, um, and uh, and we're going to explore some of the historical background of, of prayer. And uh, the reason that I brought um, my good friend, uh, Pastor Jason, on is because this is uh, kind of his area of uh, passion, his area of excellence, I, I think. And so, he has spent a lot of time studying this, reading about this. Um, so before we get started, um, Jason, you seem to have a particular passion for uh, daily prayer and uh, the liturgical life of the church. So can you talk to us about um, how that passion got cultivated and why you're so excited about um, daily prayer um, and and worship? Yeah, um, it primarily extends from my background in music and music in the church. Um, I remember sitting uh, with my dad, who was the pastor of, of one of the churches I was a part of growing up, and we would sit in his office and ask, how, how do we worship? How do we worship together? How do we design a worship service? And so that became uh, my quest for a number of years, yeah. trying to answer that question. Um, and then come to find out in study of worship, study of liturgy, uh, it has several... Um, categories to it, if you will. And one of those is, is daily prayer, um, the, how we pray uh, when we're not gathered together on Sunday morning. And so there's a clear relationship there. And so that interest in how we worship together when we're gathered together, uh, what you guys call row, um, just that curiosity just continued from there. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about how... Um we we both come from uh, I guess we both we we both come from uh, non traditional backgrounds. We both come mm-hmm. from uh, fairly uh, in in 
the church history, we'd call it revivalist backgrounds. Um, we were both byproducts of uh, revivalist movements. And so uh, that's been back to the early, early 20th century. Uh, but now we both find ourselves in more liturgical environments uh, mm-hmm. that are much more historical, leading back to thousands of years ago. Um, so uh, I, know, I know we both have a different journey when it comes to that, but we both wound up in similar situations uh, in the in the Free right. Methodist world, uh, which I was a part of for several years before uh, being called to this church. Um, it's a little bit more of a revivalist denomination, uh, but there's a lot of freedom when it comes to how people gather and worship. And part of that freedom is um, some sections celebrate uh, historical worship and celebrate liturgical um, expressions of worship and and reformational worship. Um, so. So, and that's where you find yourself. So you're leading a church now, and it's um, uh, it's liturgical. It's a mm-hmm. and it it's contemporary, uh, but it's it's also ancient. Um, it's also uh, involves a lot of uh, the liturgy, um, not from a Lutheran background, but from the Church of England, from an Anglican background. So right. can you um, can you walk us through as you were reading and exploring? Um, can you talk us talk us through the history? of uh, daily prayer and and why um, maybe you were captivated by a more liturgical expression of daily prayer. Sure. Well, I'll start with uh, some of the history and then try and answer what is appealing about it. Uh, when we talk about the history of daily prayer, largely we're talking about tracing what can be called a few different things. We can call it the liturgy of the hours, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, Roman Catholic Church tends to use that type of language, or a lot of Protestant denominations are going to call it the daily office. So these set times of prayer throughout the day um, may or may not have uh, prayers written down, or at least um, when you go back far enough, whether we have access to what kind of prayers that uh uh, our brothers and sisters may have had at that time. And so when we talk about history, that's really what we're principally dealing with. Mm. Um, there are sometimes uh, devotionals and things that we have access to, um, and those can be studied as well. But we, we principally follow this uh, daily office, if you will. When we look at Scripture, um, of course, that's central part of our identity, central part of our history. Uh, even in the Old Testament, we get the sense that there are times throughout the day that we pray. Uh, In Exodus 29, we have a lamb being sacrificed every morning and a lamb being sacrificed every evening. And that's going to become an important part of how Christians understand daily prayer, these offering uh, offering our spiritual sacrifice to God through prayer. Um, But throughout the Psalms, we see reference to praying in the morning and evening, praying at midnight, um, even praying seven times a day, uh, which is going to be important. when we get to to monastic prayer and how often monks pray during the day. Uh, Psalm 141 is real popular. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as an evening sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, of course, uh, Daniel, we see, he commits himself to pray three times a day. So uh, there's this sense in which we pause during different times of the day and pray. When we get to the New Testament, we see in Acts 2, uh, they devoted themselves to the prayers, suggesting that maybe there are certain prayers that they were saying at this time. Um, we see Peter and John in Acts 3 going to the temple at the hour of prayer, suggesting mm-hmm. that the temple had certain hours set aside for prayer. Uh, they were going at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, uh, we see in Acts 10, Peter going up to pray, uh, up to the roof to pray around noon. Um, Paul, uh, while he was kept in prison overnight, the church was praying for him through the night. Uh, so at least in extreme situations, um, not sleeping and instead praying, uh, there seems to be a precedent for that. And then when Paul and Silas uh, were in prison, uh, it says that about midnight they were praying and singing. So uh, night, nighttime we think of sleeping. Clearly, at least in some situations, nighttime is for prayer as well. So that's kind of what we see in Scripture. Um, in terms of the early church and its its pattern of prayer, it, it's kind of assumed that they would have stayed in continuity with their Jewish heritage. We don't have a real clear idea of how often or what times of day they prayed. We see different things. Um, so it's while it's unclear, it's, it's often 
presumed that that uh, Christians, the earliest Christians who would have been Jews, followed that same pattern, but through their Christian lens, if you will. And it's not until the end of the first century or maybe early second century um, with uh, uh, something called the Didache, which just means teaching. Um, we see an admonition to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. Um, it doesn't specify the time. Maybe whoever was reading or engaging with the teaching uh, knew uh, what three times are being referred to. Um, but that's the earliest uh, we see. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the early history. Um, then there's there's much discussion, of course, um, beyond this point. Uh, Paul Bradshaw identifies two prayer traditions. Uh, the first one's called the Cathedral Office. Um, it's a sacrifice of praise. And so these were public morning and evening services. Yeah. Imagine having a scripture and prayer every morning and evening right. at church available at the church. Um, this is kind of what we're looking at. And these were built around hymns and psalms of praise, prayers for the church and the world. Um, so that was one tradition. And then a second tradition was, was the desert tradition. You have these people fleeing to the, to the desert uh, to try and commune with God. Mm-hmm. And the goal here was ceaseless prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, First Thessalonians, right? Pray without ceasing. And they tried to do this uh, with the Old Testament Psalms, memorizing the Psalms, mm-hmm. uh, uh, periods of silence. And then Bradshaw suggests that those two kind of get brought together, fused together, if you will. And um, you have uh, the, the selective psalmody um, of, of the cathedral offices. They tended to, to not have as many changing parts to them as the, the uh, they were pretty stable, pretty standard, if you will. Um, paired that up with with uh, just the continual recitation of the Psalms with the, with the monastic tradition or with the desert tradition, forming what he calls the monastic tradition. So um, by the time you get to the rule of St. Benedict in the 6th century, uh, the rule of St. Benedict and its eight hours of prayer really become standard mm-hmm. until the Reformation. Mm-hmm. Um, up to that point, we have recommendations for praying two times a day, three times a day, five times a day, seven times a day. And then, at least in the Western Church, by 6th century with Benedict, um, you have a recommendation of praying eight times a day. And they, they lay out what's supposed to be prayed. And you commit to that. And that's a big part of, of monastic life, um, the center of monastic life, priests come to be required to say it. And sadly, over the years, I think it becomes a professional task. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes the laypersons are, are left out, um, sometimes supplemented with other prayers, other devotional material, and maybe sometimes not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gonna that would carry us all the way to the Reformation. Yeah, that makes, um, that makes a lot of sense, you know, at least from... Uh, Reformational perspective and from a Lutheran perspective, you know, what Luther raged against early on, um, 15, 17, 15, 18, 15, 19, uh, through probably 1525, uh, around the time when the Augsburg Confession was published, was he was he was still an Augustinian monk. So he was still uh, part of this monastic tradition that was influenced by uh, Benedict and, and the work there. And and at least in the mindset of um, a widely accepted uh, Western European Middle Ages, um, the faith was was understood as as one where grace was given um, as a substance, and mm. it was given, um, and 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 it was it was something that you tapped into through um, things like prayer and through things like devotion. Um, so the normal person, the normal everyday person uh, who had to work on the farm or work in the butcher shop or work in the blacksmith shop, um, and were, they were not able to pray the seven times a day, uh, they, they were not able to receive the same grace that monastics were. So it was kind of like uh, levels of, of Christians, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, and I'm sure that, you know, there were some that didn't buy into that. And we, you know, there are hints of early, um, you know, several hundred years before the reformers that people were raging against that. So it's not like, um, it, it's unfair to, to paint the whole church as like, and that's why I don't like to use the dark ages. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because it, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily dark. There was some, some abuses going on. Um, but, but 
uh, for the widespread people didn't understand, um, or they, they, they believed that being able to do prayer seven times a day was made you, made you a better Christian. And so the mm-hmm. monks were like the top tier. And that's what Luther was so obsessed with when he became a monk was, uh, tapping into, um, being the best Christian that he could be, um, by doing these prayers at, at set hours a day. So that would be something that would be familiar to, um, especially if, if somebody grew up in a Lutheran church and they, they heard that. Um, but for, I think most people, this is the first time that they've ever, um, heard anything quite like that. So, um, how did that change then after the Reformation? How did daily prayer and, uh, specifically the, the, uh, hours, how did they change after the Reformation? Right. Well, with, with Martin Luther, um, he saw morning and evening prayer as a chance to replace the daily masses that were taking place. Um, so, you know, not just communion uh, being done on Sundays, but every morning, every evening. And he saw this as an opportunity to, at least when no one was there to take communion, um, which would have been very frequently, nobody was there to actually receive communion, uh, to um, have morning and evening prayer instead uh, he his innovation with that is going to be the introduction of hymnody mm-hmm. into the office, um, as opposed to just uh, chanting or reciting psalms, right. the psalms. Um, where things really kind of come to life is is in England with Thomas Cranmer in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, he followed Luther's recommendation of providing morning and evening prayer, and that's what we're going to see in the Church of England uh, uh, until the 20th century, really. Um, the English or Anglican tradition is really going to be the only Protestant tradition that holds on to mm-hmm. morning and evening prayer real closely. Yeah. They're going to, even today, have, have trained choirs uh, who sing the morning and evening prayer, uh, matins and even song. Um, so that becomes uh, really in the Protestant world where morning and evening prayer held on to. Um, when it comes to Cramer and his intentions, he was uh, concerned with comprehension, especially regarding the Word of God mm. um, and, and the formation of a Christian people. And so even today, you'll hear Anglicans say we are being formed into Christians mm. through our uh, life of prayer uh, as it is in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, in the Lutheran world, a lot of churches, of course, are going to be talking about the Lutheran book of worship, which I believe is is your guys' at least pattern. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we use the LBW. Yeah. Yeah, the LBW. So um, that's kind of the equivalent there. Um, and morning and evening prayer becomes the backbone of daily prayer in the Anglican tradition. Um, I think a holistic way of praying is going to include devotions of other sorts, but morning and evening are the bedrock. Um, the Psalter continues to play an important part, like it would have leading uh, into the rule of St. Benedict and then all through uh, the centuries leading up to the Reformation. But he uh, includes Bible readings and then even Bible canticles or songs to follow the Bible readings as a response to the reading of the Word mm. of the Lord. And so that, that uh, becomes an important part of the English offices. Um, yeah, that's going to be the Reformation. Yeah, it seems to me that um, that where uh, Thomas Cranmer um, and the English reformers, they seem to really lean heavily into that, um, what you called the, and I can't remember um, what what author you referenced, but the, the cathedral tradition where it was, um, you do your morning and evening prayers. Those are the two big ones. Um, standard, every Christian does them. And even, and I think if I, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the Book of Common Prayer uh, does a good job at saying if you are with your family or by yourself, you can do these parts and omit these other parts. It's like very flexible in how it can be used. So even if you can't get to the church to do morning or evening prayer, you can still do the bulk of it. Um, on your own. And that seemed to be the way that the English Reformation went, uh, which would make sense because it was, I feel like, uh, still staying very close to that, um, uh, the the more kind of Roman 
uh, highly liturgical um, expression. And it seemed like the Lutheran tradition, um, while still liturgical and still sacramental, um, the big the big thing that happened, uh, probably the main, the main piece of literature that came out of the Lutheran Reformation was uh, the small catechism, right. uh, which would have, um, which I think is just one of the best things written. Um, and so, what Luther emphasized um, was not so much morning evening prayer, although I'm sure I don't know I don't know for sure, but I'm sure that there was uh, still. Um, some sort of daily, like you mentioned, there was a daily mass of some sort, some morning and evening prayer. Our, our, the Lutheran Book of Worship still has morning and evening prayer, but I don't even know how many churches do them. Um, I, so I know that that's not a robust ex- experience that American Lutherans have had. Um, sure. But, but the small catechism became the defining uh, uh, right. piece of work, the piece of literature that, that every, in fact, you know, even the, after it was written, um, one of the other reformers called it the layman's Bible, where mm-hmm. there was, still wasn't a Bible in every home, but there could be a catechism in every home, you know, and you could, yeah. you could memorize the catechism easily because it's not long and you could have it with you wherever you went. Right. Um, and so that became then the defining. So where I think maybe the, um, and what, what as looking back now from the 21st century, where the English Reformation did did a really good job, I think of of hanging on to that morning and evening prayer, that cathedral tradition. It seems like the Lutheran tradition, uh, which I also think is very good, um, leaned more into like the family expression. The head of the household teaches his family this, yeah. and so it was like uh, it seems to be two different um, two different ways of approaching this act of 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 morning and evening prayer of daily prayer, uh, because in the, in the small catechism, he offers, um, prayers that you can say, um, they're just, there's not, they're not as, it's not a robust, as robust of a prayer life as maybe you might find in the book of common prayer in the Anglican tradition and morning and evening prayer. It's much more, it's much more simplified. Um, so maybe where, uh, the the English reformers would say, Hey, you need to, uh, spend a lot of time memorizing, um, praying and repraying the Psalms, which is one of my favorite things. Um, Luther was more like, Hey, just keep, keep reciting the Lord's prayer, recite it with your family, right. you know? So it was much more simplified. Is that, do you think that's a fair assessment? I mean, I'm not as familiar with the Lutheran tradition. What you're describing uh, in liturgical studies might be classified more under a devotional type expression, mm-hmm. providing prayers that can be said by um, anyone, certain types of people at any time, as opposed, you know, not opposed to, but in a different vein than, say, the daily office. Right. Um, I think, um, I think, having both together, this life of, of common prayer and and devotional uh, type prayer, I think, maybe a, a good synthesis mm. to explore. Having having both of those things together, but um, is the way you describe it. There certainly seems to be a two different veins that are explored there. Yes. So. so what's the benefit of, um, you know, so we talked about maybe there are two different, two different veins and that's probably an oversimplification because I'm sure there's, you know, there's overlap from both the English reformation and, and the German reformation. Um, but, but if we're talking about this kind of two primary veins, daily, uh, common prayer and devotional prayer, um, what are the, you, and I think that we both agree that some sort of synthesis, um, and, and, Common prayer has played a huge part in my life. I know that's played a huge part in your life. Um, yeah. what, what's the benefit of each of those? And we can maybe keep that distinction, understanding that they're not opposed to each other. But right. but what are the benefits of common prayer? What are the benefits of devotional prayer, uh, in, in, in your opinion? Yeah. Well, I think that in order to hold them together, it's important to say that the goal here, I think, is Paul's exhortation to pray without ceasing. Mm. So with the devotional prayer or with the daily office, the goal is here is we're trying to pray without ceasing. And what are we doing when we're praying without ceasing? It's constant communion with God, which is the whole yeah. purpose that we've been created, right? So that's how these are held together. The, the moments of stopping through the day, um, you know, one big theme or way of understanding the daily office today is sanctifying time. The prayers reflect the time of day in which you stop and offer these prayers, offer your sacrifices, right? Um, And so uh, the devotionals, though, I think are great for um, our our personal expression 
um, God has made each of us different. And I think it gives us uh, freedom to, to pray in a way that um, is, is, is a way that, that fits who we are. Um, not in a, not in a quite the consumeristic way, but just that there are ways that we all enjoy God and, mm-hmm. and there's a place for that. And we should encourage that and seek that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be for some people, it might look like some type of prayer and study for some people it might be a walk in creation, enjoying the trees, the birds and, and, and the waters, mm-hmm. um, and everything in between. It might be, uh, uh, nice family prayers provided by Martin Luther or, um, you know, Thomas Kempis and his imitation of Christ, pondering Christ uh, in these mm-hmm. short type of, of, of writing. So um, all of these are pointed at praying without ceasing, mm-hmm. uh, constant communion with God. That's, that's the goal here. Mm-hmm. And since there does seem to be kind of a distinction between devotions and daily office, why not use everything at our disposal uh, to try and become people who uh, pray without ceasing. A lot of Christians have called that Christian perfection, mm. the praying without ceasing, uh, which I think is, is rather uh, fascinating, something worth pondering, that to be perfected as a Christian uh, is to be perfected in prayer, constant prayer. Yeah, I think that... Um when we talk about this, I, I think that there's a temptation, um, and I know especially in in my own life, um, when my practices of prayer have um, fallen short. When my when my practices of prayer have fallen short, I've I felt guilty. I felt like I'm not doing enough, um, not trying hard enough, and uh, and so I think I guess in, in partly. Um, my own ministry is is one of um, my own proclamation is is one of. Uh, freedom and one of giftedness, and so I think when we have this conversation, it's not that. Um, I think even saying uh, it's best if we do X, Y, and Z. I think that I think that it might be better to say we. It's not that we need to have some sort of um, daily office that we that we engage in, but we get to. It's something that is is freely given to us. Um, you know Hebrews. It talks about Jesus as the great high priest who mediates between God and man, and he's kind of the the highway that we get to take uh, to God, and we can freely interact with God and connect to God because of what Jesus has done. So it's it's not so much, um, hey, you you need to do this or feel guilty. It's you you have the freedom to do this, um, and God is offering Himself to you freely, and uh, and as in most things, if we don't uh, set a time to do it, it's not going to happen, right? It's easy right. to fall into um, apathy and it's easy to, to be a little lethargic. Um, and so I think when it comes to daily prayer, one of the, one of the great benefits is that it pro- provides a foundation for us. Um, and, and praying uh, the Psalms is huge. And that's something that I, that I encourage my congregation to do all the time. Um, something that's been a very rich part of my, my own um, prayer life. Uh, but when we pray the Psalms or we pray prayers that other people have written, um, it it actually provides for us a a foundation by which we can pray. It provides tools for us um, to utilize in our own, in our own prayer life. So I think that that, that's the benefit of the daily office is that it's, it's so structured and, and you really do, um, especially if you use uh, the, the, the daily scripture readings, you know, the daily, uh, uh, lectionary that the Book of Common Prayer provides, you you really do, um, over a couple of years, get all of Scripture. So you're engaging in Scripture and the Psalms and in uh, prayers that others have have written down and, and that have floated to the top of the Christian um, church. And so I think that there's some benefit. There's a lot of benefit that comes from daily office. And there's also a lot of benefit um, from devotional materials, from slowing down, you know, and, and chewing on smaller pieces of information, um, which is what the uh, catechism provides is that it's you're you're meditating on one command you, you know you're meditating on one word uh, one one commandment from God you're you know or or you're meditating on one portion of the creed or you're meditating on one petition from the Lord's prayer um, and so I think there's a lot of benefit for from that too um, yeah. as well so talk to us about um, what what your personal 
uh, prayer life looks like um, in the context of this kind of uh, daily uh, uh, common prayer and also uh, devotional prayer? How does this how does this kind of interact in your own prayer life? Sure, I I do my best to hold together uh, a form of daily office and and devotion. Um, when it comes to daily office, uh, for years I, I've prayed the Book of Common Prayer, uh, the 1979 Book of Common Prayer. Um, right now I'm, I'm using a, a more Benedictine form um, uh, prayer book. been doing that for about a year. Um, and so even there you can see there's freedom, right? I think in terms of what you were just saying, we don't want to present the daily prayer and... Um, not to frame prayer as functional, but the resources that we have uh, as part of the church to pray, we don't want to present it in a way that it becomes a law over right, us, right? right? right. Um, we don't want, uh, uh, you know, the law, as Paul talks about in some of his letters, to return and say, well, do these things, right. uh, and this will happen, do not do these things, and these this won't happen. Right. Um, but, you know, when I, when I first got introduced to the Book of Common Prayer in college and started using it, and reflecting on learning to pray morning and evening prayer and reflecting on it with my dad, I, I said, it's like I'm learning to pray. Yeah. That doesn't mean I didn't pray before, couldn't pray before, that God didn't hear my prayers, that I wasn't a Christian, that I wasn't growing. But the, the richness of, of words that are intentional, mm-hmm. of words that have been thought about, mm-hmm. and words that... The, the, the goal with, with prayer in the Book of Common Prayer is to, for it to be written on our hearts. Yeah. The opening prayer for the divine services, you guys would call it, for Holy Eucharist, Almighty God, to you all hope, all hearts are open, all desires are known, and from you no secrets are yep. hid. Cleanse the, the thoughts, thoughts of our, our hearts, hearts yep. by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. So... It, it, these prayers become written on your heart and you, you find these words to be able to pray. Mm. Um, it's especially beneficial uh, when you don't have words to pray. Yeah. Um, although there is something to be said for sitting in silence and letting our hearts cry inwardly and the Spirit uh, prays, prays with us, prays on our behalf, mm. right? Um, and so uh, I try and hold those things together. Uh, the devotion, the wonderful thing about devotions is they can change. And so mm-hmm. depending on the season of life, I change what I'm doing. I uh, went through a season where I used John Wesley's uh, questions for the Methodists um, to be used uh, in their pursuit of holiness. Um, right now I, I try and read uh, a chapter out of the rule, St. Benedict. Um, at different times it's been reading through different books of the Bible. And so... Mm-hmm. There's freedom there, right? Yeah. We're, it's a free gospel. And so um, God has granted us, in Wesleyan terms, many means of grace. And yeah. so uh, participate them. Enjoy them. Um, and that, that's, that's what we're getting to. Uh, the rule of St. Benedict famously says, Nothing is to be preferred to the work of God. Mm. Uh, and the work of God, and for Benedict, is the liturgy of the hours. It's the daily office. It's their pattern of daily prayer, which one, I think it's fascinating that he calls it the work of God. Mm. Um, But he says nothing is to be preferred. That's to be our number one preference in life. So it's not law. It is something that we enjoy. It is something we desire because it is uh, is that communion with God, is that relationship with God. And that phrase, um, I, I think that it can come quickly sometimes, but sometimes we have to work for it. We have to learn how to pray. Mm -hmm. We have to um, try different things. Um, This is something we grow in, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's one thing to successfully pray morning evening prayer and and offer your devotions every day for several weeks, Um, but it's another to be learning how to be praying while you're doing that and growing in that. Um, and, And I just think of getting to that place where we can say nothing is to be preferred to a life of prayer. Mm. It's just delightful. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I think. I think it's just delightful. Yeah, that's great. And I know that, um, and I know for both uh, you and I, and we, we've talked about this before, um, where you and I both tend toward uh, written 
prayers. We both tend toward uh, prayers that have been um, thought about, uh, prepared, prayed uh, for for a long time. And and I know at least personally, you know, you mentioned that it that there's freedom in uh, the office and how we engage in um, daily prayer. And I know at least for me, I I tend to shy away from. Uh, relationships are, are hard for me. Um, and, and you probably know that well, that, you know, our relationship was forged, um, not in, in touchy feely feel good about, um, our friendship, but in, um, a lot of conversation, a lot of yelling, a lot of debates. Um, and it was of course always, um, mutually beneficial and, and, uh, we, we were being emotionally gentle to each other, even if the, the ideas that we were, uh, working through where we were working through them with intensity. Um, so, so sometimes it's hard for me to feel close to God. Um, mm-hmm. actually it, it is hard for me to feel close to God. Um, and so it's hard for me to find the right words to pray, uh, to adequately express myself because expressing my emotions is not something I, I usually do. Um, I, I joke with my wife that um, my response to any emotion is anger. I just get angry at everything. Um, and even even when I'm like, when I'm sad, I get angry. Um, when I'm frustrated, I get angry. When I'm happy, I get angry. I just get angry at everything. Um, and so it's hard for me to like have what, what we might call um, an extemporaneous or um, uh, praying new prayers or praying um, off the top of my head. That's that's difficult for me just because I don't have the vocabulary and I also don't have like the emotional wherewithal to work through and process my emotions um, right. like that. And so using other prayers and using, um, using prayers that someone has written down and people have prayed um, actually offers me the opportunity to express myself better. And it doesn't, yeah. it, I actually express myself better when I pray prayers that are, are prepared when I pray prayers that are written down, which is why I love the Psalms so much. You know, John Calvin called them the anatomy of the soul, that that everything that we experience is in there. Um, and so by saying the words that somebody else has said or somebody else has written down um, when they were feeling a particular emotion helps me, um, helps me process my own emotions and helps me better express, express myself. So I know that for some people... Um, because I struggle with this too. I, I still struggle with it. Uh, feelings of inadequacy when it comes to prayer. Um, I would just really encourage all of our listeners that, you know, both Pastor Jason and I, we utilize a lot of written prayers. Um, and for me, it's it's because I'm a little emotionally stunted and uh, don't know how to express myself. And so um, at least express myself in those sorts of emotions. Um, and, and so I know that's important to me. And I know that that's been important to you too, is the, the written prayers. Yeah. The discussion between written and extemporaneous prayers, I think, has moved into a good direction. There's a um, ecumenical uh, liturgical blog, worship blog called Pray Tell. And uh, just within the last couple of years, there was a Roman Catholic author who suggested that Roman Catholics learn how to pray extemporaneously. Mm. And I think that for those of us who come from what you call the revival tradition, uh, what James White has called the frontier tradition, yeah. there, uh, there's there been exhortations to learn to pray written prayers. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, finding the value in both of those yeah. uh, is helpful. Yeah. Um, because with, with written prayers, you've, you've identified the uh, expressive part of it helping to express our emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, I think there's a lot of things that can take place. Uh, I've mentioned the prayers being written on our hearts, not just on our minds, but in our hearts. Um, but they are also written on our minds. I mean, yeah. uh, it's why uh, Martin Luther has the small catechism, right? The renewal of our minds and, and learning about yeah. you God, learn, you learn learning good about theology. the world, learning about ourselves and yeah. humanity. Um, and so... If, if, if you're familiar just with written prayers, it might be good to learn to pray extemporaneously. Mm-hmm. And through your time with the written prayers, you're going to be familiar with different forms of prayer, especially mm-hmm. the collect, right? Uh, so you have a framework with when to, uh, which to operate. And if, if you're largely just comfortable with extemporaneous prayers, explore some of those uh, prayers that have been handed down for the, mm-hmm. through the centuries. And we have prayers going back to the early church. Why has the church held on to those? Mm-hmm. 
you know, explore it, spend some time with it, meditate on it. Um, and I, I think that if we can encourage both of those, uh, uh, will put us in a good place. Um, uh, and we'll all come to start articulating, um, the, the grace that we experience mm-hmm. through both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause sometimes it's nice just to be able to let go and offer your words to God, uh, coherently or incoherently. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter in that regard. Uh, and the written prayers, um, for, for myself, what I, what I tell a lot of people is it provides stability. Mm-hmm. As one of my seminary professors said, when you've been away from common prayer for some time, you come back, it's like coming home. It's mm-hmm. like, ah, yes, I know this. This, mm-hmm. is, this is part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And just a delightful image that um, coming back to prayer, coming back to God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's, uh, that's what's going on there. So uh, I, I encourage uh, uh, the congregation I'm a part of to, to explore both of those. Um, to, to become familiar with both of them and and experience the grace that, that lies within both of them. Um, and then we can try and articulate what's going on. Yeah. You know, yeah. why, why, why do we feel like we're having different experiences, one with extemporaneous prayer and one with written prayers, uh, which I think is a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, thank you. Um, so as we close up this particular uh, podcast, I just want to ask, um, I want to give you an opportunity to give some uh, practical tips for our listeners um, and, and for myself. What, what are some ways that you would say, uh, some tools, some resources, um, some activities to do to help uh, increase the life of prayer and, uh, and increase this connection um, that we've talked about, which is the life of the believer being connected to God? What, what are some practical tips that you would offer? Yeah. Well, uh, I've, I've started to preface um, a lot of things with uh, productivity and efficiency are gods in our world, and mm. prayer is neither of those. Yeah. Mm. So mm. If, if, you're, if you're wanting a productive and effective um, life, maybe even an effective and productive, uh, at least in the way that we understand it, life of prayer, um, I think we, we have to change how we're thinking and where our heart's at with that. Um, Because when you're done with 30 minutes of prayer, um, what have you accomplished in this world? Um, Quotes around accomplished, um, you know, you haven't, at least when it comes to temporary matters. It's an eternal act. It's a a spiritual act in that regard. So, um, but in terms of practical tips, um, since your church does uh, at least um, include the, the Lutheran book of worship as part of your spirituality. Uh, I don't know how you define that or articulate that, um, but you have morning and evening and uh, night prayer. Uh, LBW didn't include midday prayer like the BCP, um, uh, but start there. Do it together. Help each other learn and become comfortable with it. Um Commit to one. Do evening prayer first. Uh, it's a little shorter. Tends to have fewer. Uh, uh, tends to be a little more invariable. Fewer changing parts. Fewer options. So, start there uh, and just uh, for for the daily office. Um, and then once you start becoming comfortable with that, you know, then consider morning prayer. Um, consider doing it just a few days a week, not every day. Um, you know, don't uh, we we grow right? And so. Start with with two, three days a week and and work your way up. When it comes to devotions, because of the freedom, I mean, uh, you know, talking with your your pastors and about resources there, talking with Pastor Eric about the small catechism, I mean, that's going to be a good place to start and really help ground that Lutheran identity, um, as well as just sound Christian doctrine. Um, And then, you know, explore other areas. there's when it when it comes to the the devotions, the personal prayer. Um, there's a sense of self understanding. Um, I don't know if you guys talk about spiritual direction at, at all, or if that's an unfamiliar idea, but uh, that might be helpful to uh, in just uh, listening for God's voice in your life and what that might be saying about some different ways you could pray. So um, start simple is another helpful one. Um, 
if there are optional prayers in the LBW, just pass on by and go to the ones that it recommends you do every time and mm-hmm. uh, things like that. But I think exploring it together and not just relying on yourself uh, is going to be important. Um, prayer, prayer is never private. It might be personal, but it's yeah. never private. It's never just you and God. The prayers that you offer when you are on your own, remember that we're all part of one covenant. We're all part of one church. Mm-hmm. And so your prayers are always within the context of the church and the church and Christ. So uh, just keep that in mind as well. So um, I don't have the five tips, five quick tips to a successful prayer life. Like I said, prayer is not productive and effective in the way that we use those terms today. Mm-hmm. So it's something that takes time. And time is not the enemy. Uh, it is within time that we mature. It is within time that we enjoy communion with God. Mm. So don't fear time mm. uh, when it comes to prayer. Um, that being said, uh, 20 minutes in prayer, 30 minutes in prayer, don't, don't legislate that either. Uh, God can work within periods of time. He knows that you have to go take care of the kids. He knows you have to get to work. Mm. He knows you got to cook dinner. Okay, so... Uh, we're, we're a free people, okay? So so these tips have to be framed within freedom. Um, otherwise, it just becomes law, and uh, we don't want that. So uh, enjoy communion with God. That's the goal here. Prefer nothing to a life of prayer. Learn what that means. Uh, do it with one another, and uh, uh, enjoy God because he is our end. At the end, that will be all that there is, is, is God and one another enjoying one another. So... Start enjoying it now. Awesome. Thanks so much, brother. Appreciate it. Love you, man. Appreciate you. And we'll see you later. Thanks. Appreciate it. 